Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we are looking back at the Democratic presidential debates. We watched four hours of debates, so you didn't have to, and we're going to tell you everything you needed to know in the next 20 minutes. Joined by Washington correspondent Tal Copen, Sacramento correspondent Alexei Kosev, and we're going to review who the winners were, the losers were, who's going to be gone soon. And where do we go from here? The debates next on It's All Political. We have a special treat here today. We have Alexi Kosa down here in San Francisco visiting from the Sacramento Bureau. Alexi, say hello to everyone. Hello. I'm very excited to be here in person. <laughs> the podcast studio, is it is it underwhelming, overwhelming? What is it like? It's beautiful. It's all right. You give us a little theater of the mind there. Uh, and from Washington, Tal Copen, after a long night watching the debates, <laughs> thank you. It for... did go a little later here than it did for you guys. <laughs> yes, it did. We always forget that it's, oh, it's it's 1 a.m. in Washington. <laughs> we're, we're still, we still got uh, a lot of juice going. Okay. Hey, so let's, let's wrap up uh, what we saw over the last four hours of Democratic debates how did what we saw change the shape of the race? I'm not sure we can say yet whether it changed the shape of the race, but there are several, I think, potential changes that we will be watching the polls. Um, and, you know, also the fundraising numbers to an extent to see, because keep in mind, uh, the the quarter closes pretty soon and we'll be getting some of those fundraising numbers. So. A few only only the good ones will be getting, of course. We'll only be getting, <laughs> sorry. We'll only be getting the good ones. They'll be, those will oh, be leaked yeah. out on yes. the thirtieth. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. But a few weeks later, we'll get the rest of them. Um, but you know, I think the the potentials for movement here. Uh, Warren definitely has potential to only build on sort of the continued momentum we've seen for her in the polls lately. I think Kamala Harris has a very strong chance of reversing a little bit of a decline or a plateau she'd been seeing in the polls and starting to sort of show some upward movement again. Uh, Joe Biden, we may see come down. We may not. It's a bit uh, TBD on that. And then there are a few sort of, uh, you know, lesser known candidates that seem to have a potential for some mobility here. Cory Booker, Julian Castro, and both of them have said that they have had some really excellent fundraising days uh, per after their debate performance. So those are the types of things we'll sort of be watching. But the candidates are really going to have to capitalize on the debate night to try to make those sticky trends as opposed to sort of one offs. And I, every time someone asks me who won the debate, I my standard hack line is America. But I think <laughs> last last night, <laughs> because you know we have free and fair elections here, well, <laughs> mostly. Um, the uh, but last night I think on Thursday night, Kamala Harris definitely had a very strong performance. Alexi, what what is that? What will that do for her? And 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 why was? Was this the is this the elect is this the uh, uh, Kamala Harris that we we grew up with here in California? No, I mean when we were talking earlier this week and we said that she needed to sort of pull out all the stops and have a moment. I didn't imagine that it would be this and that it would be this big of a moment. I mean, this is something that people genuinely seem to be struck by, to be talking about. In particular, her. 
uh, interaction with Joe Biden over his history on busing and her own personal history as a young student who was bused into white schools growing up in Berkeley. And, um, you know, she she came out there swinging and just really left a strong impression both as a politician and a person, the personal stories and the ideas and all of it swirling together. And I was just really, really struck by how strong she looked out there thinking back to some of the previous debates that I've seen her in where it felt, you know, she wasn't awkward, but she was maybe a little timid, a little rehearsed, a little a little cautious. That's a word that gets thrown around a lot with her. And maybe it was because she didn't have the the these kinds of forceful opponents that she was going up right. against. I mean, particularly in 2016, which was by far the most high profile race she ever ran, it was just kind of a non-entity. And so yes. she rose to the occasion. Last and it's also it, it shows America, you know, she had her moment. If you want to be the queen, you got to beat the king. And that's what she went right at Biden. I, I it was a total surprise. I did not think she would do that. Uh, so we, we saw the, uh, the some of the early trend lines starting to to come out here. We're seeing the field cleave into into a couple of uh, rough divisions here. We have the I want to overhaul the system crew, the Warrens and the and the Bernies. And I guess I don't know where Kamala kind of fits in there. We'll, we'll discuss that in a second. And then those who are more the centrists, the your Klobuchar's, your Bidens and such. What did we see from that? Uh, how did how, was, how are you you guys seeing that field shape up in those ways? Well, in some ways, the field really got pulled to the left on some very key issues last night. And and not only did it get pulled to the left, but some of the centrists were kind of hesitant to even occupy that sort of unabashed centrist lane. You know, one of the areas uh, where we saw this happening was on immigration, where Julian Castro is is pushing this proposal of his to no longer make it or to make it no longer a crime to cross the the border without authorization it would it would be a civil penalty but it would not be a federal crime and he really went after Beto O'Rourke. For him, that was his moment in the first debate, was telling Beto O'Rourke if you'd have done your homework, you would understand where I'm coming from on this, you know, but even Amy Klobuchar, when she was asked directly, would you support that proposal, which is going to whether, you know, Julian Castro feels it's a fair characterization or not, that is going to feed open border Democrats attack ads until the cow comes, the cows come home. And Amy Klobuchar was sort of like, I, I'm happy to look at his proposal, but and then pivoted into, you know, how great immigrants are. So it was almost uncomfortable for some of the candidates who are not as, you know, strongly embracing some of these very left positions in the progressive lane. It was almost uncomfortable for them on stage as opposed to the opposite, which I found to be a really interesting phenomenon. And you know, you got to think that the Trump uh, campaign re-election headquarters was cheering at two moments. One, when everybody, every Democrat on stage Thursday night put up their hands when asked, would you support giving health benefits to undocumented immigrants, and they're also uh, cheering when they saw uh, Warren, uh, 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 Mayor De Blasio, for what it's worth, uh, Bernie and Kamala, Kamala put up their yeah. put up their hands when they said, uh, "Who would uh, like to see uh, uh, private health insurance go away in favor of a Medicare for All program?" 
Of um, course, Harris, who has continued to struggle with this question, yeah. has since told a reporter that she understood the question to be, would she give up her private insurance for it? So, you know, I mean, oh, the gosh. question was Come worded on. confusingly, but not that confusingly. Uh, but she the question yes, the night before. Come on. That's, yes. that's that one doesn't abolish. Doesn't tell us smell yes, test. But but on your point, Trump, who is currently in Japan meeting with all the world's leaders at the G20 summit and has a jam packed schedule, managed to tweet during the debate and claimed to have just been walking by a TV and seen the moment when all the Democrats raised their hands about health insurance for undocumented. That was the moment he seized on from that debate to tweet from Japan. I think at the end of the day, though, there's still kind of a difference between how you're presenting yourself as in your message as a candidate and what your positions may be. I was texting with a family member last night who is a Democratic voter, a quite liberal one, who was watching and thought Kamala Harris came across really strong, but wasn't necessarily swayed to support her because in her closing pitch, she wasn't emphasizing the issues that this individual had as a priority, which included climate change, racial justice, and, you know, things like that, that maybe some of the more left-leaning candidates have emphasized, whereas her, she really closed on pocketbook issues and this idea of let's help middle-class families succeed. So even if she's out there staking down these liberal positions, it's not necessarily going to come across that way to all voters because of how she's wrapping it all together and trying to give them the sell. Yeah, and she's she's as Tal alluded to. She's dancing. She's been dancing around that line on on uh, healthcare issues. She doesn't want to totally alienate the the Bernie wing, the the Warren wing, um, on that because she needs them. She needs them to 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 move forward. Um, <clears throat> what about? Let's talk about Elizabeth Warren uh, from uh, what seems like years ago Wednesday night's debate. How is she? How did she do, you guys? Tal, what do you think? She did what she needed to do, I think. You know, the, she came into that debate by far the strongest candidate on that stage. And she did nothing to jeopardize that status and, and you know, had some very strong answers. I think one of her greatest strengths in this campaign is that she has really found a way to make her own autobiographical sort of, you know, growing up in Oklahoma becoming a mother, you know, and and not being able to go to college right away, that kind of personal story. She has managed to really weave that very skillfully with a clear campaign message, which is, you know, get a government that works for us and not them being the 1% in corporations. And so she really was able to land some answers that, you know, did that, that weaved that sort of personal, relatable with understandable sort of clear policy vision and you know I think that was also what we what the evolution in Kamala Harris's debating skills that we saw were as well as when she was on she was doing that same thing as weaving the personal and the people with you know some policy but as I mentioned before I mean the to to have an expectation that any candidate last night sort of closed the deal with the voter i think is the wrong expectation the question is did they give themselves 
an opportunity to sort of build momentum. And that is going to have to be capitalized on. Otherwise, we would be talking about President Carly Fiorina right now, who had one, <laughs> you know, star debate performance. So uh, it, it's, it really, Elizabeth Warren did what she needed to do, I think, to continue the momentum we've seen more organically from her campaign. And let's talk about people who did not have a good night. And we will start with Beto O'Rourke. Uh, what what the hell's going on with him? He 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 uh, achieved what may be a debate first. He answered or he didn't answer a question in two languages. Uh, <laughs> in the first debate, they asked him what was the, the question was what should the marginal tax rate be seventy percent? And he answered he answered first and first in Spanish, right, and then in English. And he yeah. and they went back I, at I him. I think it was that same line a lot of people have been using about the economy not working for everyone or or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, I think. Pete Buttigieg is really the answer to what happened to Beto O'Rourke. And Beto, when he came into this race, coming off the Senate campaign, his star power was, you know, this sort of high rhetoric of American values and got away without having much policy to back it up. There's a new show in town, a new face. It's Pete Buttigieg. He's doing that act, but better. I mean, he's all values, very little action items in his answers, but he does it really well. And, you know, Beto needed to come out on that debate stage and show that he wasn't a policy lightweight. And clearly several of the candidates sort of recognized that and wanted to perhaps take him out of that top tier to vault themselves into there, the, the main one being Julian Castro, but others as well. And, you know, O'Rourke just didn't come in with a strong enough game plan to really answer those questions that have been hovering around his campaign. You know, I saw the weakness even more coming, I guess, on a sort of character level, I guess, where he didn't come across that engaging. You know, I was sitting there kind of watching it as I was making dinner or doing various other things. I was not working at the same time as you guys were. And, you know, I would look up and he would be kind of staring down like it just he didn't kind of have this presence that I feel like he really had been known for on the campaign trail that engaged so many people in Texas. And so it just I, I felt like I was watching him shrink away um, as a candidate. It was it was surprising to me. The candidate I was watching for shrinkage uh, for, oh, Joe! For, oh, what, what, that's, 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 you're taking it in the Seinfeldian presence. I was uh, I was thinking about uh, shrinking on stage. Um, <laughs> the uh, was uh, Mayor Pete himself. Now, I wanted yeah. to get your uh, your opinions on Mayor Pete, but first, I have to have to have a caddy observation. What was up with the beard and the sweating? He looked, um, dare I say, a bit Nixonian. Um, <laughs> does anyone else catch that or is that me? Am I, am I looking too closely at Mayor Pete? I may have been looking at my computer too much to have picked up on that, which is always a, a real challenge, honestly, watching these debates as a reporter. Is you, he, it helps to look sometimes and not just listen. I mean, the, the really interesting thing, the, the question mark for Buttigieg coming into last night was the fact that he has spent the last, I think, couple weeks in South Penn, South Bend, dealing with a, a really anguished community over a police shooting of a black man and really unanswered questions about whether that was an appropriate use of force or not. 
And he's been off the trail. He, I assume, has not had a lot of time for debate prep. Given those factors, he could have performed far worse last night. I mean, he really managed to sort of deliver his answers. I, like I said, I find them very heavy on values and and light on exactly what he plans to do about anything. But voters really respond to it. I've talked to, you know, as Alexi has family members, friends who have been very impressed with him. I think he continued that that ability to impress an audience and really surprise people. The question is whether a time is going to come where his record actually gets a little bit harsher scrutiny. He did a decent job with the question he got about dealing with this police shootout, but in that answer admitted that, you know, in two terms, he hasn't been able to rectify this issue. And, you know, we're talking about candidates who maybe didn't do enough last night. You know, Dublin's own Eric Swalwell really went after him in this moment. And I don't know that it really helped Swalwell, but it might have hurt Buttigieg saying that he should have fired the police chief over the fact that a body camera was not worn in that shooting. Yeah, he shot quite the death stare. <laughs> he did. Yes. yes uh, that was a yes. great moment. Uh, and I, you got to love uh, Buttigieg's uh, honesty in terms of, of owning it. He's like, I haven't done enough. And uh and Tall, since you opened the Swalwell door, as you know, we are contractually, <laughs> contractually obligated to mention uh, our our local congressman who is. That's not pres- actually true, readers yeah. and listeners. <laughs> uh, Just so everyone knows. <laughs> the uh, thank you, um, uh, Swalwell did the dirty work last night uh, for, and he went after Biden on his age. Yeah. Um, and he said it, uh, he said, you can't count on people who have been in government the last 30 years who were, around, who were around when this problem was created to be the ones to solve it. He said what he told an, uh, an anecdote, to, he said when he was six years old, Biden came out for the California uh, Democratic Party con- convention. And he said, it's time to pass the torch to a new generation of leaders. This is when Biden was running for president in 88. And uh, he says, he's, he's still saying, they still write today, pass the torch, he said to Biden. And Biden says, I'm still holding on to that torch. What did that do? I mean, that's, it's always uncomfortable to talk about age. Alexi, what did, was that, was that an awkward moment? Was this something that, I think it did was, he open the door for further age bashing? Smart, I think it was probably a smart play given where he's at, you know, which is literally on the margins of the debate. Uh, to try and and get himself in there in that way. I think it was probably more of an attempt at like a viral moment than a substantive critique. Uh, he kind of stepped on it himself by going back to the same line later. Yes, as replies. good as it was <laughs> to use Biden's own words against him. And honestly, the Harris interaction with Biden like basically erased it later because it was such a more substantive critique of Biden's record rather than just his age. And so I don't know how much that will stick with people. You know, I don't think Swalwell punched his ticket to, you know, the 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 finish line of this presidential campaign, but he came in with a different, you know, he at this point just needs to do anything to manage to keep qualifying for debates, you know, let alone can impress in them. And so, you know, I think, like I said, you know, with with Buttigieg, he probably harmed Buttigieg more than he helped himself in that particular moment. So he he played a little bit of the role of the attack dog. 
But, you know, I mean, he told me before the debate he wanted to seem prepared but not over-rehearsed. I, I, it seemed like a lot of his answers felt memorized. Very, uh, his campaign memorized. was tweeting out the quote almost simultaneously. Uh, at the same time, you know, he certainly managed to get a word in edgewise and perhaps get a few more people to recognize his name and recognize his face. And maybe that'll help him get to, you know, one to two percent in the polls, get some new donors. And maybe he can, you know, keep making the debates, which was sort of his challenge last night. All right. Final question. Speaking of tickets punched, who ticket may not be punched or who may punch their own ticket and and. Return to, as Coach Noel of the Steelers used to say, their life's work. Uh, who is getting out of the race? That's a really, you know, that's a pretty tough question. And a lot of the time, the first candidate to drop out can be quite surprising. Yeah. But, you know, it's Who's interesting. On the bubble, because, as we say in the, in, in right. the tournament. It's the, interesting uh, because some of the candidates that you would expect to be on the bubble, like, you know, Andrew Yang, an entrepreneur, or Marianne Williamson, an author, who, let's just say, was a little bit out genius. of left field uh, last night, they're pretty close to already qualifying for the September oh, they're date in. When, yeah. they're when, in. Yeah. when the criteria go up. So, you know, I think some of the ones who are in real trouble are folks like, Congressman Tim Ryan, uh, some of the governors, Inslee and Hickenlooper, they did not have much of a memorable performance. And so those are going to be the candidates that they may have an infrastructure in place that keeps them going, fundraising numbers for a little while longer. But if they can't start to build some momentum, they're going to start to have to take a serious look at, you know, whether they can justify staying in this race. And the candidates who weren't on stage, like Steve Bullock and, and Seth Moulton last night, they're going to be in real trouble if they can't get themselves on the debate stage in July. Alexi, any any thoughts about who who may be not I think long for this world? One more probably to mention is Christian Gillibrand, who tried to insert herself multiple times, uh, tried to sort of play up her role as a female lawmaker um, as a strength rather than a liability and just didn't really seem to kind of land those moments that she might have needed. So she seems quite on the bubble still, too. I thought Gillibrand might have done just enough to stay in the race. I agree she didn't catapult herself the way maybe Cory Booker might have. Uh, but but I think she's a little bit less in jeopardy than some of the, the lower tier names. Right. That she also, yeah. she also, also can float herself with her Senate uh, money that uh, that she transfers from her Senate account that she, that'll keep the campaign going. All right guys, thanks so much. We will let's do it again. There's another there's 11 <laughs> more debates wow. to go before we know month. it. <laughs> I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Tal Copen for joining us from Washington DC. I'd like to thank Lexi Kossoff for being here in the Pod Cave in San Francisco. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for expertly producing this podcast, as she always does. And remember, no matter what drinking game you play during the debates, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have, is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks. Thanks.